switch gears now. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is where we find our passage today. We're going to read chapter 6 from Deuteronomy verses 1 to 9, and then we will dismiss the kids after that. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? Okay, we're having a few problems. It's all right. It's good. My, I'm very fortunate. I'm blessed. My, my wife is Spanish. As you gather, that's my wife there praying this morning. And one of the most godly women I've ever come across was her grandmother, my Yaya. She's my Yaya, Yaya Mari. Yaya is grandma in Spanish. My Yaya Mari was a very godly woman and um, a pastor's wife all of her life. And she would come to visit in England. And as a younger husband, you know, she would come along and she would be strict, one of these strict uh, ladies, very godly woman. But she would, she would say to me a word. And when she said something to me, this word, I would make me stand up to attention. And she would say, a scoocher. A scoocher means listen. And she would say, Simon, a scoocher. And when she said this, I, I, I stopped what I was doing. And because I have a tendency not to listen to my wife when she says things to me, right? She'll say things, I don't know about other husbands, wives, I don't know if you resonate with this, but uh, my wife would say something and I would hear it, but not really register what she's saying, right? So for example, she might say, Simon, you know, I'm chopping wood in the yard and she says, Simon, can you come in and uh, feed the kids or whatever, you know? And I'd be like, yeah, 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 no problem. You know, an hour later, Simon, what, where have you been? Ah, oh, she's been chopping wood. I've, I've heard it, but I've not been paying attention to what she's been saying. My grandma would say, Simon, a scooter. And as soon as she said that, I would pay attention. And it had various meanings. It, it meant to listen. Li- listen, listen what I'm saying. But it also meant pay attention. I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. Stop what you're doing, pay attention. So I, okay, I knew, you know, I, I, I learned early on I had to pay attention to my Yaya Mari. Okay, and then it also meant I want you to go and do something. So I'm, it was kind of like, listen, pay attention. I'm going to give you a command, go and do it. Okay, so that's 
when she said that, that's what I had to do. And this morning's passage, we're going to be looking at something very similar. There's a passage in the Bible this morning called the Shema. Very famous Bible, a very, very uh, prayer in the Bible, which the Jewish people have been praying for thousands of years based on Deuteronomy 6 and Shema means to listen. But it means a lot more than that as well, which we're going to discover this morning. And I've got a video this morning uh, from The Chosen that we're going to just uh, watch this morning where Jesus asks the little children, do they know the Shema? I hope. So tell me, do you all know how to pray the Shema? Yes. Oh, I would love to hear it. You lead us. Hear Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And it shall come to pass if you surely listen to the commandments I command you today. That you may gather in your grain, your wine, and your oil. Beautiful. Very good. The Shema is a very, very famous, well-known prayer in the Bible. And the Jewish people today still pray this prayer. But the context of where we are in Deuteronomy, before we get there, we see that the people of God, they've left Egypt many, well, many weeks ago, but for us, many thousands of years ago. And here's a map. And so we looked here that they left Egypt and they went across uh, the water, the waters parted, and they went down all the way up to Kadesh Barnea, where Caleb and the spies were sent, and the spies went all the way up here, traveled 500 miles, came back, they decided not to go into the land, and they went around, and they wandered the wilderness for 38 years more. So for 40 years, they've been traveling around, and today we end up here. The people are east of the Jordan, ready to go into the promised land. And Moses says to all of the people, he says, I can't go in with you. I'm not allowed to go in. It's, my time is, is not there. But I want you, as you are about to enter into the promised land, I want you to learn from the mistakes that we've made in the last 40 years. I want you to obey the Lord. And so he goes in great detail, urging the people not to make the same mistakes as the previous generation. When you go into the promised land, we have to be faithful to the word of God. He encourages the people to keep rooted in God. And we see this here, and I think Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 6, let me read them again to you. Sum up the whole book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is about, uh, encapsulates about two weeks of the lives of the people of Israel. Simply two weeks. 
But Moses goes over the, the last 40 years pretty much and reminds them of all the commandments that God has given them. Verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. But then he goes on. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames and on your houses and on your gates. Moses is saying to the people of God, love God. That's it. That's the golden rule. Love God with all of your heart and remember the commandments that God has given us these last 40 years. This is what Moses is presenting to the people of God before they go into the promised land. And for thousands of years, the Jewish people have been praying the Shema to express their obedience and faith to God. And it's called the Shema because the first word of the prayer is Shema. That's the word. Shema means to listen. And this is what the word looks like in, in the Hebrew there, Shema, to hear. And it has three meanings. Like my, like my grandmother, uh, my Yaya Mari, she would say, Scutia, it had different meanings. Shema has the same. It means three different things. It means, first of all, to hear. And the word Shema is written in the Old Testament all over the place. The first word, it means to hear. Shema, hear. Your Bible may say, hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel. And we get it in Proverbs 20, verse 12. It says, yes, that Shema, and eyes that see the Lord has made them both. Yes, that hear. It is to hear. We have to hear what God is saying to us. And we have to see what the Lord has done. Just listen. The second meaning it has, Shema, is to pay attention. It's okay, like I said, it's okay as a husband. My wife might say to me, go, Simon, can you go? She asked me this a lot. Can you go and get the milk from the fridge? Yeah, 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 no problem. You know, and I don't bother because I've not paid attention to what she's been saying. It's, I heard it, but I've not paid attention. Genesis 29:33 tells us of a story of Leah. Leah was in love by Jacob and she prays to God and she becomes pregnant and she names her son Simon. Good name. And Simon literally means to listen, to hear. That's the root of the Hebrew of Simon. Because the Lord has heard her pain and he has paid attention. And it says in Genesis 29, 33, she conceived again and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard, the Lord didn't just hear, he paid attention to my prayer that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And she named him Simeon. Simon, it's to listen, to hear. Shema means to pay attention. And the third meaning of Shema is to respond or to obey to the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 7. 
Shema, my voice, when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. When we pray to God, we don't want God just to listen. We want him to, to respond and, you know, to, to do something with our prayers, to answer our prayers. But in the same context, God asks us to obey him as well. God asks us to obey him fully. Exodus 19 verse 5 tells us, Now therefore, if you are indeed, if you will indeed obey me, Shema, if you will indeed Shema, my voice and keep my covenant, you should be my treasured possession amongst all of the peoples. Just as much as we want God to, you know, answer our prayers, God wants us to be obedient to him in all that we do in our own lives. Obey, Shema, it's the same word. And you would be my treasured possession. You would be my people. You'd be my holy nation. Interestingly, in this passage, yeah, it's repeated twice. Shema, Shema. Uh, and we see this uh, detailed in the um, New Testament. Jesus would say, verily, verily, I tell you, when something's repeated twice, it's, it's of significantly important. And so God says, yeah, Shema, Shema, obey me, obey me. It's important that we understand that we want to give our all to God in all things. So from God's perspective, and my Spanish grandmother, I guess, listening and obeying, listening and keeping in the covenant, Listening and responding are the same thing, like two sides of a coin. Listening and responding are the same word, Shema. This is why in the Bible it's expressed in Jeremiah 5.21. It says, this is the opposite of it. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people. You have eyes but do not see. You have ears but do not hear. It's a, it's a warning to the people of God that they, they, they hear and they see, but they don't respond. Does that sound familiar to us today? Or in Matthew 13, in the New Testament context, for those people's hearts have been callous, they hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. We see there a warning that people aren't even listening to the word of the Lord. They're not responding. Jesus would often say, if you have ears to hear, then listen. He's not just being hearing. He's saying, are you paying attention? And are you responding? Are we paying attention to the word? Are we responding? Are we paying attention to what the Lord is saying in our lives? Are we responding? They are hearing, but they're not listening. They are hearing, but they're not responding. They are not Shema. Otherwise, they would live and act differently in their lives. Real listening takes effort and discipline. Now I've learned, I've been married for 15 years where my wife says, Simon, okay, I'm, I, I, I pay attention. It's taken me 15 years of discipline. To, to, I'm, I'm sorry, that all these years I've probably, just, I've heard, but I've not responded. I've listened, but I've not paid attention. She's a very 
patient wife. Moses is commanding the people of God, when you go into the promised land, listen, hear the word of the Lord, obey God, put him first, make him your first love in all that you do. And he says in verse one, these are the commandments, the degrees, the decrees and laws the Lord your God has given to me. God has given Moses these commandments to give to the people. It's from the Lord. The Lord desires that the people just listen and obey and love him because he loves them. Our text today has several wonderful meanings. But the thing I really want to address, the, thing that, the theme that really binds this all together The theme that makes the greatest commandment in the New Testament, the greatest commandment is love, the love of God. When we really love God, our behavior begins to change. And these verses come in the middle of what seems to be chapters of chapters of detail. We've been, you know, we've had the privilege in chapter five of hearing again the 10 commandments Moses is going over the law. He's going over everything God has been doing. But in the middle of it all, Moses is saying, the thing that sums everything up is love God with all of your heart. Love God with all of your soul. Love God with all of your strength. The people of God, and Moses is recounting this, have gone through a lot. They've gone through Egypt. They've been delivered out of Egypt. They've gone through a journey through the wilderness. Moses is saying, here, we even sent, 38 years ago, we sent the spies. We've seen that we've been sentenced to wander in the desert. But then he comes and he says, because of all of this, let's not repeat that same mistake. Let's love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, everything that we have here. Pay attention. Respond that the Lord is good. Hear, verse three, hear, O Israel, and be careful. Listen, pay attention, but be disciplined. We have to be disciplined like an athlete is disciplined every day of their lives in order to achieve the best they can. They've got to be disciplined. And we too, as Christians, have to be disciplined to keep listening and hearing the word of the Lord in our lives and obeying what God has commanded us to do. And he says, if you're obedient, that it will go well with you and you, you will increase greatly and you will receive all the promises and blessings that I've given you. But I love the verses four to six, this famous prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. And that just sums up, I think, every church on this planet. If there's a a mission statement or a vision for every church. It is that. If there's a vision or a mission statement for every Christian, if there's something that could sum up our lives, it is that one verse. Love the Lord your God with everything you have, every fiber, every ounce in us. Love God. Following God and Jesus today, like I said at the beginning, is not a religion but it's a relationship. How do we get to love God? Well, we get to love God by spending time with him. I remember as a little boy, and I've not always followed Jesus. I'll say that. I committed my life to Christ when I was 23. 
But I remember as a little boy going to bed, just praying to God. And my prayer was this, God, I love you so much. I don't know why, but I just knew I loved God in my heart. I think built within each and every one of us is this desire to love God because he's in us. He's made us. We are made in the image of God. When we turn our eyes off God, I think we can forget that in our lives. The Shema makes it clear that God does not want us to have a blind obedience or some dutiful slavery to God, but he wants a loving relationship with his people. Here or Israel, Yahweh is our God and Yahweh is one. And you shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Here, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Just shout out. Why do you love God? Because he first loved you. God is faithful. Why do you love God? Because he sent his one and only son that we might have eternal life. Thank you, Henry. Because of his mercy and truth forever. Because because of who he is. Because he's the one and only God. Someone said something over here. Because he's our father. Because I was lost and now I am found. Because he's given us life. Amen. There are so many reasons why we can love God. I could go in here and explain what he means by heart and soul and might and have these on your hearts. I'm not going to because basically it just means that with everything that we are, we, have our, we should be loving God. When we love God with all that we are, everything else falls into a proper perspective and balance. To love God is to follow his ways and to embrace his character in our own lives. When we love God, we want to obey his commandments because we know that it will draw us closer to him. When we love God, we will want to obey his commandments because we know that they are there for us to, to have a better life. Not to hinder us, but so that we can flourish. Our knowledge and our existence and everything is to love God with action and obedience. As Christians today, in order to keep our identity alive, we must know who we are in Christ, loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might. And Jesus goes a little bit further in the New Testament when the man comes to him and says, listen, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? And he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love 
your neighbor as yourself. See, when we love God, we start to get creative in how we can love others as well around us. A relationship with God doesn't happen by accident. But when God takes first place in our lives, we no longer live for ourselves, but Christ lives in us. Colossians 2, 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we love the Lord and have the life of Christ living in us, we are driven to obedience. You see Jesus' words in John 14, 21. John 14, 21. They echo. There we go. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. These words echo the Shema. When we love God and we follow God and we follow the commandments of God, then God reveals himself to us. This holy God continues to reveal who he is, his character in our lives. And we kind of just get closer to God. It's just this beautiful cycle. We, the more we love God, the more we want to obey God. The more that we love God, the more that we want to obey God. The more he reveals himself to us. Mel Gibson, the, the actor, he was the director of The Passion of the Christ. And he was asked by a journalist, a journalist said to him, um, why weren't you in the movie of The Passion of the Christ? And he says, I was in the movie of The Passion. He says, I was the hands that nailed Christ to the cross. He went on to explain that it was not the Jews or the Romans that killed Jesus, it was all of us. Our sins are what nailed Jesus to the cross. And when we look at the cross of Christ in that light, we can finally understand it as the supreme act of love of God for us in our own lives. We love God because, as someone said this morning, he first loved us. Love God because he loves you so very dearly. But then Moses goes on. And we get that, right? Love God, just spend time with him. Just spend time with him every day. It's not hard. For some reason, though, we make it hard. But then he goes on, Moses, and he says to the people, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk or on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and on your head and then nail them on your doorposts. Moses wants our children to understand. He's saying to the children that we should be teaching our kids how to love God. How are we doing that? If you're not loving God in your own life, then your kids won't ever get to know God. Teach them at home. I believe it is easier for children to catch faith than it is to teach the faith. Do they see us, our kids, do they see us um, living life with Christ? Do they see us reading the Bible? Do they see us 
praying. Do they see us worshiping? That's why I love having the children in on church at the beginning for the first 30 minutes. You may be thinking, oh, they're so noisy. But they are seeing us worshiping God with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our might. It's okay seeing them on a Sunday morning, but do they see it at home? Do our grandkids see us at home reading our Bibles first thing in the morning or whatever? There's a, a charity in England called um, Care for the Family. And they basically just try and teach families how to keep loving Jesus. And they say that just 50% of our kids today growing up in Christian homes will grow up without a faith because they don't see it in their homes. And so Moses encourages the people here to keep teaching the word of God to the little children to tell them, to, re, to recall stories, to speak about them of the Lord and all that they do. My kids today, I have two girls, they can sing every Disney song and every word of every Disney song. They know every word from Frozen. Who knows Frozen? Yeah, I think I can sing every word from Frozen. It's always in my car. I drop my kids off to school and I'm driving to work and I'm singing Disney songs, right? I'm like, how does that happen? They know they know all the words off by heart. But how much of the Bible do they know? How many worship songs do they know? In the world of the Jewish people, <clears throat> in rabbinic Judaism, they have these phylacteries. There's a picture here. A phylactery is uh, these two Jewish women there. <clears throat> They've taken it literally. They've literally tied the word of God to their arms and to their head. They've got these little boxes on their head that they have, uh, I think the Torah <clears throat> is in there. And they take it seriously when they're reading the word of God. And they have these mezuzahs. A mezuzah is a little uh, file that, the, 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 that go on the doorpost of your house. You can nail them on your doorpost. And it's just to remind the, the, well, the Jewish people that they, that they continue reading the word. That is, it's a public expression. When they walk around, they see the word of God literally nailed to their doorposts. But what does that mean for us today? Well, Deuteronomy 11, where did they get this from? Deuteronomy 11 says, Deuteronomy 11, 18. Fix these words of mine in your heart and your mind. Tie them as symbols in your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the, along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, write them on your door frames or your houses and on your gates. They've literally done that. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you go out and you, you buy one of those little boxes for your forehead. What's our equivalent today? Probably fridge magnets. That's the thing. Right? We have them all over the place, right? All those little, uh, little verses that you have on your... Picture frames around the place. Bumper stickers, right? I guess that's the thing. Buy some fridge magnets with Bible verses on it. Bless somebody with them, I guess. I don't know. What's the principle for us today? I think fundamentally, Moses invites God's people to find ways of, of ensuring that children are growing up knowing what it means to be a Christian, knowing that we have to study the Word of God. Knowing that we have to be praying in the morning. Do our children see us spending time loving Jesus? 
Or are we busy binge watching Netflix? I don't know. How can we as a community continue loving Jesus and in our homes? So now you're thinking, how do I do this? I hope you're thinking, how do I do this? How do I continue loving Christ in the home? Well, Care for the Family, this UK organization have something called the Kitchen Table Project where they encourage families just to practice Christianity in the home. And they've given 10 good ways for families and for anybody to be just practicing our faith publicly in our homes. And first of all, they say this, play with your children. Just spend time with your kids. Don't put them in front of a TV screen. Just spend, play a game. We had uh, a family FX night the other week in here and we had board games and all the families were here and we were interacting, getting to know each other. It was wonderful. Do it at home. Play with your kids. Two, they say eat a meal together in a generation where like the Simpsons, you just watch TV and have your own food. Just eat together around the table, talk. Three, they say sorry when you're wrong. Admit that as Adults, we get it wrong. <clears throat> Apologize to the children. Sorry, I got it wrong. It's not hard. Four, they say, point to God in the everyday, in all of our circumstances, keep doing it. When we get into the car and we go for a journey, just pray to God. Keep explaining what God is doing in our lives today. Point five, offer a glimpse of your spiritual life. The thing I'll never forget in my whole life was my mother. I would see her reading a Bible every day, just see her reading the Bible. And that's always stuck with me. On a Sunday night, she'd play the piano in the church and she'd drag me along there, right? And I was, oh man. But as a kid, I'm just being, absorbing all of these things. I love all the staff, all the staff bring our children now to church. And I just see them. They were destroying my office just 30 minutes before the service. But they're all together, doing life together. I love it. Praise God. And they're encouraging each other. They're getting a spiritual sense of what we're doing here as a church. Six, pray at bedtime. Just pray with your kids. Seven, share a story. Share a Bible story. Spend time reading the word. Seven, eight, Meet up with others from the church. I love house churches. If you're not part of a house church, get part of a house church because your children grow up together, doing things together. Nine, offer an explanation. If a kid has an answer, a question, spend time answering those questions. If, child, if children are able to ask open questions when they're younger, they'll be more open and honest to ask questions when they're older. Instead of hiding things, just have openness and transparency. You may not know the answer, but someone in your house church might. 10, find time to pray in all circumstances, whether that's in a mealtime or like say bedtime or when you get in a journey in the car or whenever. Something I would like to do as a church, and we, we discussed this in the night school, is to do a Bible in a year. Whereas a church, we just read the Bible together. And we're looking at ways that we can do that with the children and with our kids' church and with the youth. And as a, how as a church can we read the Bible together and encourage, and together we read it for the year. So we're exploring ways and options we can do that. 
just so that we can be public and, and evident with our faith. Here's my question for us this morning. As we look at this prayer, where are our children learning their values today? Is it in school? Is it with their friends? Is it on TikTok? Is it on YouTube? What are they catching from us as a church in our homes? Where are they learning their values? I hope Moses was commanding the people of God as they go into the promised land to, to keep loving God with all of their hearts and to keep obedient to him, to hear, to pay attention and to respond to what the Lord had commanded them to do. And for us today, as we follow Jesus Christ, that command still says the same. That we are to love Christ, to know what he's done, to accept what he's done in our lives, to keep loving Jesus with all of our hearts, to keep spending time with him in our lives. Even if it means closing the door and just, just getting on our knees and just praying with God every day. And when we do that, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we spend time with him, the more he transforms us from the inside out every day. And that's something I can promise you will happen. The Holy Spirit will just keep nurturing and changing you. This is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And perhaps if we prayed that Shema prayer every day, perhaps, just perhaps, we too may change to be more like Christ, more than we expect or believe we can. Let's pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, we thank you that you are indeed a holy God. We thank you that you created all things out of nothing and that all authority and power rests in your hands. And even though that you are a holy God, even though you are all powerful, you still choose to have a relationship with us. You still love us so much. You know everything about us. You know how many hairs that we have on our heads. You know us intimately. You knew us when we were knitted in our mother's wombs. And Lord, I just pray in our hearts that we truly know that and understand that there is a God who cares for each, and each of us individually. I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, as we reflect, as we shema, as we hear this, as we listen, that we pay attention to this and that we want to obey you, Lord, in all things. I pray that you give us a burning desire in our hearts to keep seeking you, to keep serving you, to keep following you in everything that we do. Lord, I love you. I love you and, and thank you that you love me, Lord. Amen.